I know that's, that song really lays the groundwork for the series called Brave, and it's um, that song just the lyrics just reminded me that that cross, that thing that we're very afraid of, and naturally you should be afraid of it, but the best things are on the other side of it. Amen. The best things are on the other side of the cross, and that's uh, was true for Jesus. It's true for you. Uh, before I get into the word, though, I just want to say something about next Sunday's congregational meeting. Uh, I, I'm going to send out an email uh, either late this e- later this evening or first thing in the morning to all of you explaining uh, what we're going to be, the voting members of the church will be voting about tomorrow, I mean next Sunday. And because I want you to be well informed, that the old saying is uh, equally informed people seldom disagree. And uh, I, I think you're going to see as we uh, we have um, we I mean the myself, the trustees, the pastoral team, that um, selling the house at Seven Cape Road, buying the property in Northbridge is a good idea. And now we'll I'll explain to you why in the email, and uh, Northbridge properties where the Happy Place currently uh, functions. We're ministering to 31 families there right now, and it also has several apartments, so it's, it, we're, 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 we're more than replacing the housing that we're losing here, which if you'll give us a couple hundred thousand, we will keep that too. Uh, but it seems like prudent that we sell that in order to buy that. Uh, but uh, the trustees uh, voted overwhelmingly uh, to do it, and so, uh, but, but I want you to come and be well informed. But I don't, you know, it, it, if you have questions, uh, c- call us during the week. I, I really prefer you not show up at the meeting uninformed. You know, and, and uh, so if you have questions about it, uh, you can call the office and, or you just respond to the email and say, I got questions. I want somebody to call me. I'll call you personally or have somebody else call you, and we'll explain any questions you have about that. If, you, if you're a voting member of the church and you want to make sure you can get the... See, the thing about coming into a meeting and just getting all your information, then how are you going to even pray about it if you don't get your information ahead of time? So uh, I will send that email. If, if for some reason you don't get an email within, say, 24, 36 hours, uh, get in touch with us. and we'll Because email addresses get lost and... All kinds of things happen out in cyber world. Okay, uh, being brave when dragons appear. You say, dragons, are they in the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to show you in a minute that there's dragons in the Bible. But first of all, I want to read to you about a person who personified a dragon. His name was Haman, and it's found in the book of Esther. And um, there's a lot of good reasons to talk about Esther today with Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, were the Jews, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Xerxes was the king. Now just to show you that what we see there has a, has, a, has a deeper root and foundation in a being that's in the universe that causes people to be irrational, dangerous, and murderous. 
Revelation 21 through 3. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. Notice what he called him. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent. He's a reptilian creature, okay? And locked and sealed it over, keeping him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousands of years were ended. After that, he must be set free short term, short time. So Israel started out as one nation under King David, then King Solomon. After Solomon died, the nation had this disagreement over who they wanted to be king. So the ten northern tribes wanted one guy as a king, and the southern tribe, which included Jerusalem, wanted somebody else. So they went separate ways. And the, the northern kingdom fell away from God pretty quickly and were carried away by the Assyrians. Southern kingdom, they hung on a little bit longer and before they fell away from God, and then they were carried away by the Babylonians. They were carried away to a region that we currently know as Iraq. And they would stay in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, during which time we get the book of Daniel, prophet Jeremiah. And um, we get those great stories like uh, the fiery furnace and the, Daniel in the lion's den. As Jeremiah had prophesied, they were there for 70 years. In 70 years, they were in pagan Babylon. And after that, a group of about 50,000 people returned under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. It took them 60 years to rebuild the temple, and they didn't really get it built until a guy named Ezra showed up and helped them get it built. And uh, a lot of Jews were still in Babylon, including this guy named Mordecai. Mordecai, who wouldn't bow down to anyone but God. And this, this bad guy, this dragon, this evil guy, Haman, who had been honored by the king and manipulated the king to be honored, and the king wasn't a very nice guy either. I mean, the book of Esther is really an interesting book, very interesting book. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of drinking and there's a lot of partying going on in the book of Esther. You know, in fact, I, I learned in my research there was actually a Babylonian custom that when they needed to make decisions uh, as a, like a government, they all got drunk. <laughs> and I thought, that's a good idea for Congress. It couldn't be any worse. I mean, <laughs> I'm not for drinking. I don't drink, but, uh, but you know, maybe let's try that. <laughs> so uh, it, through these bizarre circumstances, that you just need to go read it for yourself. Through these really bizarre and interesting circumstances, Mordecai's niece, this little Jewish girl, becomes the queen of Babylon, if you can imagine. She becomes queen of Babylon and a part of King Xerxes' uh, harem. And, and, and so when, when this happens, this decree gets signed that all Jews will be, dis, uh, be exterminated, because that's what Haman did. Haman goes... Uh, immediately he gets ticked that, that Mordecai will not bow to him because he's been honored by the king, you see. And so because he's been honored by the king, he wants everybody to bow to him. And he has this, you know, Satan has a domineering spirit. I don't know if you know that, but he has a very domineering spirit. He wants to, he wants to control your life. It's so interesting. The juxtaposition between Satan and the, and, and the Lord is very, very stark. The, the Bible says that we are led by the Holy Spirit. 
We're not dominated by the Spirit. That's why it's easy to stay home from church. That's why it's easy not to pay your tithe. That's why it's easy not to go volunteer. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't coerce you. He leads you. He gently urges. He gently prompts. You can put it off doing the thing you should do for years. And he's just so gentle and so patient, so kind. I love God, don't you? I love God. I love Jesus. But Satan's not like that. Satan manipulates, tries to force you, tries to back you in the corner. He doesn't care what he has to do. And that's so, so, so Haman was the embodiment of, of the evil one. And don't think the evil ones still don't show up. They do. Uh, so Haman wouldn't bow. I mean, Mordecai wouldn't bow. So he gets this. He goes to King uh, Exercise and gets this thing signed, this decree signed, that all all Jews would be killed. And uh, Mordecai sends a message to Esther that says something like, "Baby girl, you got to step up and talk to King Exercise to save your people." The only problem was to go into the king's presence uninvited, even for the king. Even if you were the queen, meant at least a 50% chance of death. Because unless the king invited you, I, I know you think we have a, 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 an evil patriarchy today, but it was a little worse back then. <laughs> so Mordecai says in so many words, Esther, be brave. Some of you know about that, brave. You know about having a mom who was brave. My mom was a brave woman. She really was. What a great story in her life. But this being brave is easier than it sounds, of course. It, it, it was easier for Esther than it sounds because the, 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 if you read the book of um, Esther, you find they had a habit of impaling people on poles. In fact, at least three times they would take a pole, they would sharpen it to a point, and they would impale you uh, on this pole. That's how they like to kill people. Another interesting side note. For Book of Esther, which which gives us the theme of brave for this book, is you don't see God mentioned one time. God it appears to be totally absent in the Book of Esther. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know insinuations of sexual activity. <laughs> But no evidence, no, no clear evidence of the presence of God. No mention of prayer. And into that environment is this young woman. And she's part of the king's palace. And she has to make a choice. Do I step up or not? Let's read Esther. Let's read chapter 4, verse 7, 10, just to kind of put it in context for you. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He's telling this servant who's going to take this message to Esther, okay? He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathok, who that's the servant's name, 
went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. Really, I said 50% chance, there's actually 100% chance that she would die. The only exception to this is for the king, well, I guess we get a little glimmer of hope here, the only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter, the gold scepter, to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. See, in every life, there's times of divine silence. In your life and my life. There are times when terrifying dragons and hideous monsters appear. I hope in this series I can show you that because you matter to God, though, you can go forward and you can face the dragons. And I also want to show you that you're actually created to confront dragons. And you are not going to be truly alive if you just try to live a harmless and safe life. If you don't do some things that scare the life out of you. Isn't it interesting that in our myths, stories, and legends, in our imagination, there are dragons. There are dragons that fill our imagination. Every little kid learns about dragons and are fascinated by them. They're in the movies, the stories that we read. George, have you ever seen George and the Dragon? <laughs> in fact, we, we surveyed our children here at the church and we found a, a dragon story that we're going to share with you right now from, one, uh, from a beautiful little girl. You're going to meet her in just a second and I think you're going to enjoy it. Hi, I want to tell you a story about being brave. The unicorn did not want to fly, but she was brave. She flew. She saw wonderful things and she was glad she was brave. At one point, she saw a dragon. She was brave and the unicorn became friends with the dragon. She taught the mean dragon to be nice. Unicorn was brave and she went home. Bye. Thank you, Shiloh. Now, we'll be talking later in the series about converting dragons to friends, but unfortunately, the Babylonians disposed of their dragons differently than that. So, this dragon today is not going to get a hug, I don't think. But um, that. There's a place for that. There really is a place for converting those who have been, been become possessed and casting that out of them and them being a nice person. Now, I want to talk, first of all, about the inevitability of terrifying dragons in our life. I'm not just talking about difficult things or unpleasant messes we're all called to clean up. We're all called, we all get into messes sometimes we have to clean up. I'm talking about things that do what they did to Israel. Israel stopped eating when they heard this news. I'm talking about things that can make you so emotional that you lose your appetite. I'm talking about things that if you go as the dragon and the monster had planned, you will die. I'm talking about things that will take something very precious from you in reality. Some dream, some hope, some longing. Important people, important friendships in your life are going to be destroyed. You're going to lose something that you care about if the Werewolf or the Frankenstein or Count Dracula has their way. Let me tell you something. The good things of God that he's prepared for you 
are likely being guarded by a fire-breathing dragon. That good thing could be peace and prosperity of your children. The peace and prosperity of your marriage. It could be the significance of your divine purpose or the promise of your inner tranquility and joy. At some point, it's going to be opposite day in paradise. In fact, isn't it interesting that, that and I don't totally understand this, and maybe we'll explore this and kind of think about why, but the reptile that we talked about from Revelation showed up in, in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that the dragon showed up? Now, he's identified as a serpent there, but we see in Revelation both identities as a dragon and a serpent. Isn't it interesting that that seems to be embedded in the world, that in every Garden of Eden, there's a reptile that shows up that wants to rob us of what God has for us. It wants to rob us of the peace and the joy and the prosperity and, and the richness that God has for us. In 40-something in, in years of being a pastor, I've watched the dragon show up, and I've watched him defeat a lot of people. And I've watched a lot of people, though, stand up and be brave and say, no, you're not taking my paradise away. You're not taking my marriage. You're not taking my kids. You're not going to do it. I'm going to fight you until I until God wins, I should say. You know, the, 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 the only way to avoid uh, dra- monsters and dragons in your life, and, and you don't really avoid them this way, but is for nothing to matter. And I'm begging you not to take that option that nothing's worth fighting for and nothing matters. You, you're merely a step away from being a dragon and a monster yourself when nothing matters. When you move to wanting to be feared, you're moving to a very dangerous place. When you move to wanting to be feared and wanting people to tremble at you, when you move, and it's, it's much better. And I want to make this point really clear. It's much better to be trembling and tenderhearted than to become cold and hard and bitter. It's much better. In fact, I love this. I, I, I love what I'm about to tell you. And, and if you, boy, if you haven't discovered studying the Bible, please do. It's the most joyful thing that I get to do. And I'm very, very lucky that I get to do it as a part of my job, that I can study the word. But I'm telling you, if it wasn't my job, I would still do it. And I I watched my father do that. I I grew up with a father who did that when it wasn't part of his job. But because it's so wonderful. And, And I saw this in the life of the Apostle Paul. I saw him. I love it when the Apostle Paul, who now there's a guy who knew how to be a dragon. There's a guy. He was he he could be a monster, and you read his you read his biography, man, and you see a guy who went around putting people to death, and you see a guy who didn't flinch at seeing someone stoned and pummeled till they were till they were unrecognizable. It didn't he he man he had he had he had a place in him that was cold. If he thought you were wrong and he was right, man, he wasn't afraid. He, he, he had a dark side. Apostle Paul had a dark side. But when Christ came into his life, listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? 
Paul understood that the dragons of life were inevitable. Hey, the world, you know, the world's never going to be a safe place. And if you think it will, you're in denial. If you're skipping around thinking, there's no dangerous people, and there's no dangerous philosophies, and there's no dangerous ideas, and there's no dangerous activities, and there are no demons. There's no, there's no danger. I'm not worried about... I'm not worried about my spouse. I'm not worried about my kids. I'm not worried about the church. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about anything because I just love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And everything is just, everything is just, it's just Alice in Wonderland. It's just, you know, you think it's just all in people's minds or preachers want to manipulate you. You've left reality though. And you know what? If you don't become a dragon slayer, you're going to become dragon food. If you don't get brave and start standing up for what is right and start standing up for people's lives that are, and I mean this so seriously, if you don't start standing up for people that the dragon's trying to destroy, you're going to have loss that you didn't, you didn't have to have. You're going to have loss that wasn't necessary. And I know I... I know I've said this a few times lately, but boy, I guess part of partly of kind of turning 62 years of age and then headed to 63 in a few weeks. I have, let me, give me a couple hours of your time. If you think everything, if you think that you can go to sleep, if you think that you can just relax and you don't have to be vigilant, Give me a couple hours. I want to tell you the stories. I want to tell you about the funerals I have preached. Let me tell you about the funerals of people that weren't even 25 years of age. One of the first funerals I ever preached was an 18-year-old kid who lost a shootout with the police in Westfield. And I've done so many of those kind of funerals. And they were not necessary. They, most of them were not in the will of God. The dragon got his way. And I just was just having lunch with a young man yesterday, and we, we were talking about, and thank God this young man seems to have survived. And I was congratulating him yesterday. It was, he has survived, survived a lot of ups and downs in his life. But we were talking about peers that didn't survive. And, and it's, they're, they're alcoholics right now. They're in prison because the dragon got to them. And I'll have to say, that in a lot of those cases, a lot of those cases, I think there was a mom and a dad that didn't believe in dragons and didn't fight, didn't go take the sword and go after the dragon. I'm not here to explain why that God allows the serpent to show up in the Garden of Eden. I haven't figured that out yet. But aren't we told that's how it would be? Aren't we told? 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The word of God, my friends, is a frontal assault on two things, naivety and sin. If you're willing to be aware and informed and humbly repentant, welcome to God's team. Welcome to be a dragon slayer or... Shiloh, maybe we even make some friends out of some of them. <laughs> but we can't let them continue to be dragons. So I've talked about that, all right? We've talked about the inevitability. 
they're going to show up. The dragons are going to show up. The scary things, the things that could destroy your life, the things that could destroy your love. So, some people, it, does, it doesn't destroy, you know, they don't lose their kids. Maybe they lose their own softness. They lose their own life within them. They, they're, 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 the inner power and joy that they have dies. But God has something better for you. If, if you understand the way it is, not, not the way we want it to be, right? Not the way we want it to be. I don't want it to be this way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a long talk with God someday. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a long talk. Why was it that way? Why, why was it challenging? Why was it difficult? Why did we have to fight so hard sometimes? Why do we have to go through the zones of design, divine silence? Why do we have to live the book of Esther sometimes? Why do we have to live the book of Esther instead of some other great book in the Bible. You know, I don't know what other book that would be, but, but why, why couldn't we live somewhere else? Why do we have to live facing these things that are so threatening sometimes? And why do we have to learn not to be so terrified, but knowing it was naturally to be terrified? So I want to look at the next thing, which is the inequity of terrifying dragons. There's nothing fair about the challenges of life. If you have some utopian idea that we're going to create a world where the terrifying challenges of life are going to be fairly distributed according to our ability to handle them, then you are going to wake up someday all bitter and disillusioned. There was nothing rational about Haman, nothing rational about the situation. It wasn't fair that Esther and Mordecai had to go through this. It wasn't fair. This is this young woman, this beautiful young woman. It wasn't fair that she had to go through this. There was nothing fair about it. And, and see, some of us are just, we just want the world to be rational. But it's not. It's not rational. You know, and people aren't rational. And, and I was, Patrick and I were talking about it a while ago. We're talking about, you know, people aren't rational. And, and, and I had to admit, Patrick, that I have to fight every day to be rational. It, it, it's not somebody else pointing my finger at you. I have, to, I have to fight every day. I, I have thoughts that are just crazy. They're just not rational. I just have to talk, my, I have to talk myself down from being angry at people that didn't do anything. But I imagine that they did. I imagine that they're probably saying this about me or saying that about me because I didn't show up at church for a couple of weeks or something, you know. So I, I, invent stories all the, I invent stories all the time. And I have to just humbly just get myself under control and Actually, go have a conversation and find out before I re- jump to conclusions. Some of us, some of you, only time you get any exercise is jumping to conclusions. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, the, the other day, uh, a, a well-known Christian leader got accused of, of uh, being Im- improper with ladies, right? And, of course, the I've talked to a few people about it, and, 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 and now we're in this thing of, well, if people wouldn't just make stuff up. I said, oh, really? I, I remember I, when I was pa- first started pastoring, I was, Sherry and I were in our mid-20s. I was 25, 26. And I remember this couple that we, uh, that they, they moved up from Baltimore, Maryland. We were in Westfield, and this couple moved. And we just, you know, we're trying to help people. We wanted to be, we wanted to be good Christians and be loving, and, and we're trying to build a church and everything. So this couple shows up, and we just, you know, she, she, you know, Sherry, she's just uh, always been this dynamo. And I, I don't know how she did it exactly, but somehow she got the guy a job interview at Sikorsky Aircraft. 
in Connecticut. He got a job there, and we had hired him to work on a job site we, we had. We were building a church. And I hired the lady as my secretary. And one day, uh, Roger Cordes, it was like we were prayer partners, and he was on the board. Roger says, uh, you know, uh, he, called, he called the lady's name that I, I had hired. Did I, did I say I had hired her as secretary? That's it. Okay. He said, she's called a board meeting. Well, that was pretty unusual. Uh, I didn't know much about how this was supposed to work. I'd never had a board before, so but I didn't think that really the secretary was supposed to call board meetings. I really didn't think that was how it was supposed to work. And the, But they met down at Henry's shop, of course. So the, the Mom and dad know Henry, so you know that makes sense, all the sense in the world. They met at Henry's machine shop. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and she announced to them that I had... I had made a pass at her and, and that I, I was siphoning oil from the oil tanks at the church and taking the oil to my house and, and the IRS was going to shut the church down. Just, just minor pieces of business, right? <laughs> and, uh, boy, I tell you, say I did it, it didn't happen, folks. It didn't happen. None of that, none of that happened. It, and, and there was no utility or rationale of why she would even do it. None. There, there was that no, She had absolutely nothing to gain from, from doing this crazy thing. So if you think people are always rational, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you need to talk to somebody and get that straightened out. <laughs> The situation that Esther was dealing with wasn't rational. It made no sense. It made no sense whatsoever. The Jews are going to go back. They didn't want to be in Babylon. They were going to go back to the promised land anyway. Haman just had this irrational, murderous, demonic anger that when one guy violated him, he's going to kill the whole race. And Esther got caught up in that. But bravery is when we get to experience this. It's what we need when we're in the why zone. Brave is, is what, I, what is called for when God's sovereignty has to be depended on. But one thing you've got to get out of your thinking is that the why zone is not any less miraculous. It's not any less miraculous when you're living in the why zone, in the place where, where is God and God is silent. Your life isn't any less miraculous. The, the, God's power is still working. I said, God's power is still working. Amen? <laughs> Esther became the queen. She, 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 we don't see a bunch of prayer and prophecy and all of that stuff. And there wasn't, there wasn't, she, she didn't have a great church to go to. There wasn't a great worship team that she got to hear every week. But God was working in the nation of Israel. And God was working in her life. And God was working in Babylon in this totally irrational situation with this irrational king and this irrational Haman. God is working. It wasn't just, it wasn't obvious to people that are looking on. The Y zone is pretty awesome, though, for the people who have the courage to walk around in it. Hallelujah. So when you're feeling overwhelmed by the inequity and the unfairness of the dragons, so when you're feeling overmatched by the size of the dragons, when you're feeling overdrawn in your faith account by the enormity of your challenges, remember, just because God isn't visible in your circumstance doesn't mean He's absent. You see, God is all for the equity of outcome. 
But God's way of creating equity of outcome is that he is the equalizer. He is the equalizer. Sonia was an African-American. Originally lived in Boston, moved to Detroit. She was one of 24 siblings. Grew up in a foster home, got married at age 13. Would discover later that her husband had other wives. He was a bigamist. She made the decision to leave him, even though her two kids really loved him. Worked two and three jobs. By this time, she's living in Detroit. Her youngest son was particular in trouble. He was, the, he was at the very bottom of the fifth grade class. He was the class dummy. And he had big anger management problems. Sonia prayed. These are her exact words. She said, God, I don't have any friends. And I don't have anyone else to turn to. God, you're going to have to be my friend. My best friend. And you're going to have to tell me how to do things and give me wisdom. Because I don't know what to do. So she heard, she felt God told her to do this. She called the boys in, two boys. She said, you're going to read two books a week. And you're going to write me a report. And they didn't know that she couldn't read. She had only been to the third grade. But she pretended to read their reports and would actually mark them up to make it look like she was reading them. She said, no, uh, only two television shows a day predetermined after you've done your homework. Her youngest son went from the bottom of the fifth grade class to the top of the sixth grade class. Make a long story short, he earned a scholarship to Yale. He became the youngest head of pediatric neuro neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins Hospital and the first black person to have a position like that in any major medical center in America. He wrote three books called Gifted Hands, Think Big, Unleashing Your Potential for Excellence, and The Big Picture. He established an educational scholarship, and he is currently the head of Housing, urban, housing and Urban Development in the Trump administration. His name is Ben Carson. Amen? Because he had a mom. He had a mom who looked the dragon in the eye and said, I'm going I'm to take you down. That's what we need today. Some moms in this room need to do that too. And I believe you're going to because you want to. You want to. But you've been told that you're a victim. But God says you're a victor. You've been told that you can't control anything. But God says there's nothing impossible with me. Nothing. <laughs> Hallelujah. First John 4, 4. Your, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he, the one who is in, the one. Notice what it said, the one. Who is the one? The dragon, the serpent, the one that the, one that the devil is going to throw into the pit. I, I love, I, this is not in my notes, and, and, and I shouldn't take the time to do it, but I, I, I can't resist. I love, there's, there's a scripture, I think it's Isaiah, where it's a prophetic scripture 
about at the end of time when the prophet sees the devil for the first time, actually sees him. And you know what he says? He asks a question. Is this he that did us weaken the nations? <laughs> I love that. So you're going to find out at the end, it's going to be like the Wizard of Oz. You're going to find out the wizard wasn't as powerful as you thought. If you had just stood up to him, he would have run. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? I want you to go home today, Mom. And I want you to walk around. When, when nobody's at the house, I want you to walk around that house. And I want you to drive the dragons out. I want you to command in the name of Jesus that every foul spirit, I want you to go into your kids' rooms and I want you to pray over their bed and I want you to pray over their walls and I want you to pray, I want you to go in every room in your house. I want you, to, if, if you have a husband, pray over, pray over the pillow where he sleeps and I want you to start taking authority. The Bible says that all, Jesus said all power is given to me and Jesus said as the Father sent me, so send I you. Hallelujah. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then in response to this? If God be for us, who can be against us? The who in us. <laughs> Finally, I want to talk to you in closing about the opportunity of terrifying dragons. Esther 4.14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to a royal position, royal position for such a time as this. Did, did you catch that? He, Uncle Mordecai wasn't going, Master, you poor baby, I'm so sorry you'd be put in this position. You know, I, I just hate to, hate to do this to you. No, he said, Esther, this is an opportunity. <laughs> this is an opportunity. You've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You were, Esther! You were born for this. You were born for this moment. You were born for... Maybe that's why God allows the, the reptile to stay in our life. Maybe that's why God allows him. Because we find out who we are. When we, when we defeat the dragon, we find out who we are. We become alive. I don't think we become alive when we live safe lives. I don't think we become alive when, we're not, when we don't have anything to challenge us. I think we become alive when we push past our fears. Everybody, I, everybody I've ever talked to, I've, I've not done it, but everybody I've talked to that jumped out of an airplane couldn't wait to do it again. That's interesting. That's so interesting because I think of jumping out of a plane. That just sounds so terrifying to me. That sounds like I don't want to do that. But everybody, and I'm serious. I've never met a man or, or, or lady who jumped out of a plane with a parachute who said, I, <laughs> well, I don't know anybody. The, the, the one that didn't have a parachute didn't talk to me afterwards. <laughs> I've never met one that said, I couldn't wait to do it again. Because that thing that's scaring you is your greatest opportunity for exhilaration and joy. That thing that's frightening you. That conversation that you're terrified of having. And stop excusing stuff because you did a personality analysis and it says you're not supposed to be doing that. Stop that. 
Stop that. Those personality analysis have a place and we use them and I think they're great. They have a place, but sometimes they're just to tell you what you should be doing in spite of the fact you're not good at it and you don't feel like it. Amen? Another thing Mordecai communicates is you know there's other people that could be raised up to do this just in case you feel put upon. But God is giving you the right of first refusal. What? Mordecai, the wise uncle, knew that bravely walking into the presence of King Xerxes and challenging the dragon Haman was an opportunity that a thinking person just wouldn't pass up. (laughs) Your opportunities are hiding behind your fears. I said your opportunities are hiding behind your fears. Your most rewarding outcomes are hiding behind your anxieties. Now, don't get lost in the grandeur of the scope of the story. It's rare to have an opportunity to save a nation. And, but bravery isn't in the grand narrative. <laughs> it's not. But the bravery's always in the details, the minutia of the details. It's, it's about screwing up the courage to ask a question or have a conversation. I would be embarrassed to tell you the anxiety I can have getting revved up to have a conversation sometimes. But it happens to me all the time. The bravery for Esther boiled down to one simple act of courage. Go in to see King Xerxes without an invitation. What is your little thing? What is, what is your tiny thing that you need to do, that you're afraid to do? You know, what is it? A lot of times we, 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 we just um, don't do the loving thing because we're afraid. It, it's not because we're unloving or lazy. See, it's not because we're unloving or lazy. We're afraid. Showing affection can be a very scary thing. If, if you don't naturally show affection, that can be really scary. You can be terrified You can be terrified to reach out and show someone that you love them. That can be terrifying to some of you. Maybe because of your childhood, maybe you got molested as a kid and and that's just, you can't, you just can't get over that. But how about, how about doing what God is, the way we get over fears is not to go talk to somebody about them. The way we get over fears is to face them. The way we get over fears is to go experience the thing you're afraid of. That's the only way to conquer a fear. The only way to conquer a fear is to be brave. Some of us are excusing failure and competence. We're excusing failure on incompetence, but it's really just fear. I'm, you know, every meaningful thing you're called to claim is being guarded by a dragon you could slay. You know, God doesn't need harmless and safe women or men today. God needs men and women, moms, who will take on the dragons and slay them so they and their children won't be dragon food. There's an interesting verse in the Bible, and, and, I, and I want to close with this, with this little insight. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And uh, that's, you think about that verse, that's a really tough verse. Because it, it sounds like 
that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to lose your ability to fight. That you're going to, you know, meek, unfortunately, rhymes with weak. So, so you're, not, you're going to lose your ability to, to show aggression if you are a Christ follower. You're going to lose your ability to stand up and speak truth when it offends somebody. Because you're meek. So a meek person would never say anything that hurts someone's feelings. Right? That's how we interpret that verse. But you know what that, what that verse actually means? The, 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 the term meek there means to have a sword that you're able to use, but you keep it sheathed. That's what the term meek means. That you have a sword, but you know how to keep it sheathed. And if you know how to keep it sheathed, you also know how to use it. You know how to take it out of its sheath, out of its scabbard, and use it. And there's something right now that you're afraid of. Now, you don't know it could be to go stabbing people. But there's powers of darkness that need you to get aggressive with them and demanding and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. The dragons are going to leave. I will guarantee it. I will promise you that the dragons will leave when you stand up. Haman didn't have a chance. Haman didn't have a chance. And God honored him. Haman ended up being put to death, unfortunately, by, not by Esther. Not by Esther. You're, you, you as a Christian, you're not going to have to go put anyone to death. Not by Esther, but by, but by King Xerxes. And, and by the, he, he released people to do that. God has a plan for your success. God has a plan for the success of your children. God has a plan for the success of your home. God has a plan for the success of your church if you will just be brave. Today is Mother's Day, and so we're not going to have communion or our normal prayer partners because we know that many of you have lunch reservations, and we want to release you to be able to do that and have a wonderful day with your mother and are remembering your mother. And I, I just, um, I, I spend the day thinking about, some, some time thinking about my mom and what an amazing person she was. But I want, I want us to pray about that thing that conversation you need to have that you're scared to have. I want us to pray about that. Maybe it's a conversation where you go and say, I'm sorry, I've only been thinking about myself and I wasn't thinking about you. Please forgive me. That could be a pretty scary conversation, can't it? Or, or maybe it's a conversation where you say, listen, I, I, the story I've been telling myself about what you've been doing, here's what the story I need you to clear that up for me. Tell me, is that true? I need to have that conversation with somebody this week. Maybe you need to take your daughter out for dinner and say, tell me what's really been going on in your life. I'm worried about you. Maybe you need to reach out to your spouse. And maybe you've been afraid to encourage him 
Because something about that, you feel like, well, if I encourage him, he will just feel so empowered and 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 and, and be dominant. It'll just be a situation where I will lose control if I say anything positive. So that's scary. Encouraging people can be scary. How about if you pray about that right now? Don't do it because I said it, but you pray about maybe you should have an encouraging conversation with your spouse and tell them, listen, here's some things that, here's some things I really appreciate about you. Here's some things I really like about the way you do, the way you carry on your business. Thank you. That can be really scary. Or, or maybe there's that neighbor that you just, every time you drive by and see them in the yard, you know you should go get to know them. You know you should go find out their story. You know that you should think about an opportunity to invite them to church. And you know you, you should be working on maybe having an opportunity someday to actually tell them about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But you're afraid. Admit it, I'm afraid. Sometimes the dragon is just slain by walking across the room or walking across the yard. Oh, I wish I had time. I could tell you some stories, but I won't. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your people. They're so good, and I thank you, Lord, that they just bless me every week. And I pray for their lives, that they'll be abundantly blessed. And I pray that they'll go out today and slay the dragon. And I pray, God, you'll bless our moms today that are here and the ones that aren't here and bless the memories of our moms that have gone in to be with you. And let today be just like the best Mother's Day ever. In Jesus' name, amen.